Okay, uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll continue in our sermon and our scripture reading in this Sunday. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you today and open up your holy word, uh, this revelation you've given us, that we may get to know you more and understand your story of redemption better. And Father, I pray that as we open up your word, you would keep our minds attentive and as best we can, um, protect our hearts from the manifold worries that may be clouding it right now because of our lives, because of whatever baggage we may be coming in today with. I have a lot of them. Help me, Father, deliver your word well, and that we beg you for the Spirit to come and change hearts, something no preacher can ever do. Be with us. Reveal your Son for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so friends, for this Sunday sermon, since it's the Christmas season, we're going to take a break from the normal series that we're in. Usually we take a book and we preach it from beginning to end, and currently we're actually in the book of Acts, but we're going to take a break from the book of Acts uh, because of, of today being Christmas season, and we're going to do a sermon from a part of the Bible that focuses more on the birth of Christ. Okay, And that passage that we're going to look at today is Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. Genesis 3, 14 to 21. If you have your Bibles or if you want to open up your Bible apps on your phone, turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. Uh, I invite you to do so now so you can follow along. Now, if you're not familiar with Genesis chapter 3, don't, don't worry about it. We're going to get into it. We're going to study it. But if you are familiar with Genesis chapter 3... You may be asking yourself at this point, what in the world does Genesis chapter 3 have anything to do with the birth of Christ? Wasn't Genesis written like thousands of years before Jesus was born? And isn't Genesis 3 specifically this time in the Bible where God was angry, God was cursing Adam and Eve and the whole world for disobeying him, for sinning against him? So what does a passage like this have anything to do with Christmas? Well, friends, it has everything to do with Christmas. Genesis chapter 3 is actually the first place in the Bible where the message of Christmas was first mentioned. It is. It's it's thousands of years before Christmas actually happened, before Christ was actually born. It was first mentioned here. And my hope for us today, that as we see this, is that we'll be reminded of the fact that God's love for his people, for you, was not an afterthought. It's not an afterthought. It's not like he all of a sudden decided to do it mid-story, like in the beginning of the New Testament. He's always planned it. He's always loved you. It existed in the darkest moment of history, in the fall, Genesis 3, as far as the curse is found. And if it's existed for that long, and if it appeared in that kind of darkness then that must mean, listen, that must mean that no recent event that you went through, however dark that may be, could change that love. And if today's passage convinces you of that, it'll change you. It really will. Okay? So let's get into it. This is God's word, Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. I'm going to read the whole thing, so please bear with me. Describing God's anger after Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed him in the garden. This is the word of God. 
So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you'll strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and ate the fruit of the tree about which I commanded of you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. Thus says the Lord. Now where in the world is Christmas in that passage, okay? Well, let's get into it. There's three things I wanna point out from our passage today, our three points for today. First, a missing curse. Second, a hidden gift. And third, a covered sinner. A missing curse, a hidden gift, a covered sinner. Okay, let's start with our first point, a missing curse. Okay, so real quickly before we get into it, quick background information about the story that we just read. Okay, Adam and Eve just sinned against God, right? You know the story? The serpent entered the garden, tempted Adam and Eve to eat the fruit, and they did. They listened to the serpent instead of God. And when Adam and Eve did that, what they did is that they replaced the voice of authority in their life from God's voice to the serpent's voice. That's what happened. That's why it was so bad. Not because there was some evil mojo energy in the fruit, that when he ate it, all of a sudden things got bad. No, it was so bad because Adam and Eve replaced God with a created thing, with a serpent. In other words, they took God off his throne and placed a creature on it. You see, that, that switch, friends, in the Bible, that's the essence of sin. See, a lot of people think sin is just about doing bad things. It's not. In the Bible, sin isn't just about doing bad things. It is that, but it's much more than that. Sin is about replacing God in our lives with anything. That's not God, even if those things are good things. Things like people's approval, money, personal acclaim, our careers, sexual fulfillment, whatever. Again, Those things are not bad things. They aren't. Money is not a bad thing. Money is a good thing. You need it to live. Your career is not a bad thing. Material possessions are not bad things. People's opinions, sexual fulfillment, those are not bad things. Those are all good things. God made them. Our problem is that we often make these good things into ultimate things. We switch them in our lives, like what Adam and Eve did here in the garden, and that messes everything up. Our problem, like Adam and Eve here, is that we end up worshiping created things rather than the creator. The Bible's word for that is idolatry. And friends, you and I, we do it every day. 
okay? So then how does God respond to our idolatry? Well, we just read it in the passage just now. He's angry. <laughs> Look at how God responds to Adam and Eve. He started cursing everything. He was furious, and of course he is. Why wouldn't he be? The, the creator was just robbed of his right to rule over his creatures. He was betrayed by his servants. He was forgotten, disrespected by his children. He was cheated on by his beloved. Of course he's angry. He should be. But here's the point I'm trying to get at today. Here's what's really interesting, okay? Don't miss this. Earlier, when we read Genesis chapter 3 and God was angry, he was cursing everything, he was, you know, he was, he was angry at everything, did you notice amidst all of his anger, amidst all of his cursing, he never once cursed Adam and Eve themselves? He never did. Isn't that interesting? Let me show you from the passage or look in the passage yourselves just to prove to you I'm not making this up. God in our passage specifically cursed only three things. First, in verse 14, God cursed the serpent or Satan. Second, in verse 16, God cursed the process of childbearing, meaning that birthing kids and raising kids won't be easy anymore. It's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. If you don't believe me, ask any parent in this room. Just don't ask my parents, okay? The third thing God curses in verse 17 is the ground, meaning the ground, the world around us, it's not going to be a safe place anymore. Okay, we're going to have earthquakes, tsunamis, pandemics. Pretty much the past two years, the ground, the world is hostile toward us now. It's against us. God in his anger cursed Satan, the process of childbearing, and the ground but that's it. Read it again for yourselves. That's it. The word cursed in our English translation or terkutuk in Indonesian or azur in the original Hebrew never, ever, ever fell on Adam and Eve. And the readers, you and I, were meant to read this and we're meant to ask the question at this point, why not? Why not? Where did their curse go, you see? It's missing. But they're the ones that messed up. They're the ones that made the mistake. All of this was their fault. If anyone should be cursed, it's them. Where did their curse go? Well, we'll find the answer in our second point, a hidden gift. Okay, this is really easy to miss, okay? But take a look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Verse 15 of our passage today. Here in verse 15, friends, we find the very first footprint, an echo of Christmas that's ever seen and heard in the Bible, ever. God said to the serpent in Genesis 3.15 after Adam and Eve sinned, I will put enmity between you and the woman, meaning Eve, between your offspring and hers, her offspring. He, her offspring, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Did you hear Christmas there? Let me read it again. God said to Satan that, yes, you won this time, Satan. Adam and Eve disobeyed me. But one day, God said, at some point down the road, a child will be born, an offspring of Eve. And this child will crush your head. He'll defeat you. Who's this child God's talking about? Well, there are more clues here. Let's study this verse deeper. 
In order to crush Satan's head, God says, this child will have to pay a cost. What cost? Look at verse 15 again. His heel will be struck or bit by the serpent. Now, everyone who lived back then knew that this is an imagery of death, okay? When a poisonous serpent strikes your heel, bites your heel, back then, you're dead. You're done. So God here is saying, in order to defeat Satan, this promised child will have to die. That's the cost he's going to have to pay. Now, this should be enough clues for us to know who God is talking about here. Who is it? Jesus. Remember, Genesis was written thousands of years before Jesus was born. Christmas, friends, was not an afterthought. But that's not even what's most surprising about the passage because later we see in the Bible that this child that God promises in Genesis 3.15, Jesus, is actually God himself. That's, that's a real shocker of the Bible. That's what God Jesus killed. Let me read to Isaiah chapter 9. And I have it on the screen just for extra clarity. Isaiah 9 tells us who this promised child really is. For unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, who? Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The child's name is Mighty God. Jesus being God is not a truth that the church made up recently. These documents were written thousands of years before the institutional church ever existed. Anyone here ever watch the Marvel movies? I'm sure, right? Spider-Man just came out and all the other ones. If you watch the Marvel movies, you'll notice that in almost every movie, there's this random old guy that would just kind of appear in the movie for like a split second, and then he'd go away. He'd say a line, then he'll go away. You know who that person is? His name is Stan Lee. He's the creator of a lot of the characters in the Marvel movies. What they did is that they wrote Stan Lee, the creator, into the story. The authored entered the story. What God is promising here in 3.15, Genesis 3.15 to Adam and Eve, is that one day, he's going to write himself into our story. He's gonna be born as one of us and die in our place so that sin and evil may be defeated. See now, we have the answer to the question we asked in point one, don't we? Where did Adam and Eve's curse go? Where is the missing curse? It went upon God himself. God didn't curse Adam and Eve because Ever since it happened, he has always planned to one day come down on his own and take their curses upon himself. Is that not the gospel in the Old Testament? Look, at some point, we gotta stop being so naive and think that forgiveness is free. Forgiveness is never free. If I borrowed Will's car, okay, and I got into an accident and I just completely wrecked it. I mean, it's total. You can't even bring it to Katok Magic. Does that even exist today? You can't, even, you can't bring it anywhere. It's done. It's gone, okay? And I'm panicking, and I call Will, and I go, Will, oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry, man. I wrecked your car. Will you forgive me? 
and because Will is such a forgiving and kind person, he tells me, Tez, you know what? It's no problem. Don't worry about it. Forget it. I forgive you. You don't have to pay. Was that free? It was for me. But guess who ends up paying? <laughs> Will does. Or if he has good insurance, his insurance company does. At some point, someone pays. We got to stop being so naive to ever think that any forgiveness is free. That's why it's so hard when you forgive somebody because you realize you're going to have to be the one that pays for it. Christmas is God saying, I'll pay. Christmas is God saying, you made the mistake. <laughs> you sinned. I'll pay. Someone always pays. And everything in us should think that is absolutely bonkers. That is bizarre. And it should feel bizarre. It's not fair, we say. I know, God says. It's love. It's love. Don't miss what God is trying to tell you and I today. He's saying this. No matter how hard you try to be good, no matter how much you pray or go to church or tithe or beat yourselves up for your past mistakes, it's not enough. It's not enough. The curse is in you. I know you sense it. You know why? Because I sense it in me too. I mean, we hide it really well. The jealousy that we feel when we're celebrating somebody else's success the sense of self-importance that we feel when we do something that's supposed to be selfless. The pain and suffering we secretly fantasize upon that person that we have supposedly, quote-unquote, forgiven. The comparison game we just can't stop playing, even Sunday morning at church as we look at one another. The addictions. The anger issues. What anger issues, Tez? Oh, come on. We hide it well. But if I'm honest, I don't think there's been a day that's gone by without me being angry at something. Not to think I'm the only one. If I am, I'd be really embarrassed. We feel it. We sense it. And if you feel that, God's saying here in this passage, rejoice. 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 Yeah, rejoice. Because that means Christmas is very close to changing your life. It is. But it won't. Not yet, not until you wear it. What do I mean? Let's move on to our last point. A covered sinner. If I can be candid with us just now, do you know why people come to church on Christmas season, okay? And we sit in our chairs and we hear the sermon and we nod and we say, hmm, yes, good point, I agree. And then we leave to never come back again until next year Christmas where we would come again and sit down again and nod our heads again and say, hmm, yes, good point, I agree, and then leave again. You know why so many Christians aren't really Christians? Not really. And why so many churchgoers haven't actually had their lives messed up and changed by the gospel, by Christmas. It's because 
a lot of us are stuck in verse 15 and we never got to verse 21. What do I mean? Take a look at verse 21, the very last verse of our passage today. Look at what happened to Adam and Eve. Okay, after God declared to them the good news of Christmas in Genesis 3.15, as we just read, that one day Christ will come and take their curses upon themselves, in verse 21, God made for Adam and Eve garments of skin and clothed them in it. So, so Adam and Eve were naked and ashamed at this point, right? Because they just sinned. And they're trying their best to cover themselves up from their sin and shame. But it's not working very well because it's just made out of a bunch of fig leaves. That's what the story tells us. So in verse 21, it says that God went and killed an animal, skinned it, made clothing for Adam and Eve out of that skin, and covered them in it with this animal skin. That's a much better covering for sin and shame. That's what verse 21 is all about. Now, what's the point of all that? Well, we'll think about it. And if you leave today remembering anything, remember this image. The very first thing that died in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned against God, was a sacrificial animal. A lamb, a goat, I don't know. Whose skin covered Adam and Eve from their shame, from their sin. Now, skip forward a few thousand years later when this promised child, Jesus Christ, was born. And he grew up and he walked in front of a guy named John the Baptist. Remember that story? You remember what John the Baptist said when he first saw Jesus walk in front of him? He said what? Behold, what? The Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Look, God never killed an animal to cover us from our sin and shame. But he did kill someone. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was slain so that you and I may be covered up from our sin and shame. The reason, friends, why some of us maybe have been playing Christian our whole lives without actually being one is because your whole life you've been stuck at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You've heard the good news of Christmas. You've heard the Son coming to earth proclaimed over and over and over and over again this Christmas, the Christmas after this, but you never got to verse 21. You never put on Christmas for yourself. You never did. You've never allowed Christ to cover you from your sin and shame. The question isn't, have you heard about this promised child? Of course you've heard about it. Satan heard about it too, by the way. God was speaking directly to him. The question isn't, have you heard about him? The question is, have you warned him have you clothed yourself in him? Have you applied his righteousness to cancel out your sin? Have you worn his holiness to cover up your shame? Have you received his perfect record to replace your guilt? Have you received his payment over your mistakes? Have you allowed his cross to take away your curse? This is where we should be putting our pens down. And just listen, the reason you've been playing Christian your whole life without actually being one isn't because you're not trying hard enough. You're a hard worker in every other aspect in life. That's not the reason. 
It's not because you're not disciplined enough. You, you're all very disciplined people, I'm sure. It's not because you're not committed enough. Those aren't the main reasons. The main reason why you've been playing Christian your whole life without actually being one is because you never got to verse 21. You've never put on Christmas. You've never put on Christ. Is the promised child a generic savior for the world out there, or is he your savior? When will you finally be tired of the fig leaves that keep falling down You've been trying to cover yourself up for years, your whole life. You've been trying to pay for your own mistakes. You've been trying to hide your own sense of guilt by being a good person, by being a religious person, by personal sacrifices you've made for other people. Those are all good things, but they can never cover you. They'll keep falling down. They're just fig leaves. You gotta get from verse 15 to verse 21. You gotta not just hear about this child, but put him on, or else you'll be praying Christian your whole life. And I'll see you again next year. The Lamb of God died naked on a cross so that you may be covered up in his righteousness. If you're here today and you haven't done that, he's offering that to you right now through this passage to be done with your fig leaves. Put him on. His love is safe. It's not an afterthought. He's had you in his mind from eternity past. And if you're here today and you have already received Christ as Lord and Savior, you have already put on Christ to cover up your sin and shame, then here's one last thing I want to point out for you. Look at verse 21 again. Look at who clothed Adam and Eve. They didn't clothe themselves. They didn't take the animal skin and clothe themselves. God did. God's the one who got you from verse 15 to verse 21. And this should comfort you, Christians, because you might have come to church today feeling like you don't deserve to be here. I don't know what happened this week or this month. You might have come today feeling like you don't deserve to wear the robe of righteousness. You think Adam and Eve felt like they deserved the animal skin? They didn't. But yet God still clothed them in it. God clothed you in Christ and he'll never let you take it off. Keep it on. You're not stronger than him. He'll never let you take it off anyway, so just stop trying to. It's yours forever. This is why we come to worship. This is why we're here today. Not because of some annual tradition we do, not because it's just another fun-themed holiday. We're here to worship because the lamb who was slain deserved the reward of his suffering. And he will get those whom he died for, a multitude of forgiven sinners covered in his righteousness, singing his praises for the glory of his name. Remember that as we sing our last song of response. Let's pray. Father, sometimes this robe of righteousness you've put on us feels like it doesn't fit. It feels weird. It feels like we shouldn't be wearing it because we know deep inside nothing in us deserves it. But you and your mercy have clothed us in it. You didn't ask our permission to do it. You just did it because you're merciful.
and you're kind and you're good. And now we're on our knees wearing this righteousness that we didn't pay for or earn or get ourselves. And we find our hearts changing. We find our souls singing. We find ourselves putting back down those created things that we've often placed in your throne of authority and put you, the lamb who was slain, rightfully back where you belong as king of our lives. I beg you, Father, today that your Holy Spirit will bring this gospel of old, will bring this truth that no preacher can ever bring to the hearts of sinful men and women and that you would make it alive in their hearts so that they would beat with a spiritual life for you. Let this news not land on deaf ears or on blind eyes. Open up our ears and our eyes so that we may receive it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.